Hi everyone and welcome back to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Neil. I'm Joe. And that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's been a while. It's good to be back in the hot seat. So, um, not a lot's happened. Nothing's and yet, happened. so much has happened. But it's like not a lot of importance, really. I mean, if you consider that the major topic in world news, world news, like certainly in the Anglophone media, for two weeks, well, about 10 days, headlines every day was whether or not the nominee for the Supreme Court in the United States fondled, or worse, someone 36 years ago. When he was 17. And we just saw that that was the subject matter we had to deal with, and it was like, you know what, um, whatever, we'll just pass we were like this. Y'all, no comment. We're like, y'all handle this. Yeah. And uh, people you did. Know, you know the drill. Yeah, people did what they, what they have been doing, which is... Scream and shout and take sides. For their side, right. And think in black and white terms, um, you know, and and get worked up about something that really is not really that important at this point, you know. But my conclusion after seeing this go on for X number of years now is that people actually enjoy it. I'm taking, uh, I have a working hypothesis that people who are, you know, screaming and shouting and getting out and ranting and banging on doors and insulting people in the street and stuff, uh, they're doing it because they enjoy it. So I, that affords me uh, a bit more kind of space from it, if you know what I mean. I don't, I don't become too identified with it or worked up about it because um, these people aren't serious, really. They're not really serious. People in general are very fickle. They don't really care. You know, they'll, they'll come on strong on something. But, you know, uh, if something happens to change their mind or some, some, something else influences them and they can end up switching their position completely. Like, so people, you know, fundamentally people are very fickle. Uh, so, yeah, it's madness, but it's, you know, not much has happened in the sense that the madness is just taking over, you know, chaos reigns effectively, uh, at least in the, in the domain of, uh, what you see on the internet and in the news, let's say, you know, what's presented to you by, by the news, it's presented, uh, in such a way that it, it appears to be complete chaos, you know, a social discord, arguing, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, people, you know, in their respective camps and at each other's throats and stuff. But um, that's that's been going on for quite a while. Mm. So when that just keeps ticking over and some new thing comes along to inflame things a little bit, gets a bit more heated, well, do you, are you really going to get worked up about it? I mean, it's been it's been the, the status quo for, for quite a long time. So it's not actually anything new in that respect, you know. Yeah, um, the news is getting old. Yeah, it's just, it's getting boring, effectively. There's nothing, you know what I mean? When things descend into that kind of level of, of chaos and idiocy and stupidity, not only do I not have a lot of respect for it, I don't have, I also don't have a lot of concern for it for, for that reason, because I don't have much respect for the people who would be so um, stupid and so ignorant and engage in so much black and white thinking that, um, that, that they would, you know, get worked up to that extent about those kind of things. How can you have any respect for those kind of people, you know? So... Um, yeah. A case in point, last week, it was as if the, the media, you know, suddenly suddenly realized, had an epiphany that Saudi Arabia, there's something, there's something off about Saudi Arabia. They, they may have murdered someone. Mm. Yeah, you think? Yeah, perfect course. Hello, Yemen. Mm. And, and who are they killing all the people in Yemen with? Your taxpayer dollars well, via the, the weapons that are sold to them. And this has been the status quo since that little country was created, you know, 70 years ago, 80 years ago. 
Anyway, yeah, so 80 years late, the Western media is um, asking, the question, questioning the ethical standards in Saudi Arabia, mm. um, namely over this um, event that happened in the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, or Ankara, I presume, the in capital Ankara, of Turkey. Ankara, yeah. What's bizarre here, right off the bat, I can't even tell you what happened, and yet everyone knows what happened. Well, it's brutal murder, abhorrent crime. You know what I mean? It, it, the stories are echoing throughout the world about the fact of what it is. But then you read the details, and it's not even known if this journalist, Saudi national, well, the pieces is are, missing. The pieces are put together. You put Saudi Arabia in the equation. And it's and, probably and, death and by a, murder. A, a critic of the Saudi, Saudi government, of Saudi Arabia in general, you know, uh, 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 a guy who's been, you know, an exponent of, liberalization of, of Saudi Arabia and, and like I said, criti criticizing, um, what's his name, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi or something. Um, he's a Washington Post um, editor. Editor or? He's an editor of some section of it, basically. Okay. And he is a U.S. Um, resident, permanent resident. He's not a U.S. citizen, he's a permanent resident. He's mm -hmm. basically in self-imposed exile. In Since the, when? In the US. Since last year. It's uh, recent then. Yeah, about, right. a year, about a year ago or more. Um, kind of happened around the time of that crackdown. The MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the, the new boy king of Saudi Arabia, his crackdown on all of his peers um, yeah. in order to consolidate power, which was actually, you know, big upped by Trump at the time. Because if you remember, Trump's first state visit was to Saudi Arabia. In, yep. in May 2017, and then it was later that year, four or five months later, that this kind of crackdown happened where all of these uh, poor Saudi royals, basically, you know, and there's thousands of them, literally, you know. It's such a joke, that, that country, you know. It's, uh, it's basically run by a bunch of well, pseudo-royals. It's a tribe. It's a tribe. Yeah. yeah, they're a big tribe of quote-unquote royals, and they run the country. And obviously he wanted to, he didn't like the fact that those two, this power was spread too widely amongst these thousands of cousins and second cousins and third cousins and uncles and aunts and all that kind of stuff. So he took the worst ones or the ones that he saw as the worst ones, the worst offenders, and he threw them all into horrible prisons like the Hilton and the Ritz, <laughs> and the Ritz, Car and the Ritz Carlton. Well, the stories that came out of it were horrific. Some people were being tortured and killed, like hung up by their feet and stuff. Probably. Yeah, but Probably. that's, but, well, that's Saudi Arabia, like. What do you want, you know? But who does that to their cousin? Uh, people in Saudi Arabia. Right, okay. Um, the Saudis, you know, I mean, that's... But then, you know, there's plenty of people in Western countries wouldn't have any problem doing that to their cousin either if they crossed them, you know, because they're a bunch Something of... that struck me about that a year ago was that I think the Western establishments in, in plural sense, because, of course, there's different factions and, you know, Europe, US, and so on, they weren't quite sure where they stood on that. Mm, I mean, the purge, you mean? Yeah, because mm. it was like, it was not just because they had ethical qualms with it. I'm sure they quite enjoy um, vicariously every time Saudi Arabia does something evil. Um, I think because they weren't sure where it was going. Mm. It's a coup, and it's like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the petrodollar? Well, yeah. So they weren't well, sure. Trump was very... It seemed Trump. like in the, in, in the meantime, it's continuation. Trump. Everything is normal. Yeah, well, Trump claimed, but, it, as, claimed, Trump claimed it as his, his influence because right. when he was there in, in, in May that year, he claimed that afterwards, yeah, we're seeing some. And ostensibly, it was about... Uh, well, Trump claimed that uh, the Saudi embargo in Qatar at the time that came just after Trump visited Saudi Arabia, that that was Trump's influence because he was saying Qatar was funding... Terrorism, you know, funding yeah. terrorism beyond foreign supporters. Of yeah. course, Saudi Arabia is the one who's at funds 
the most terrorism beyond its borders always has. But again, Saudi Arabia is a long-term ally, a very strategic ally of the U.S. It's it's a linchpin, basically, for the U.S. in the Middle East, uh, not least because of its uh, position as the, one of the world's top oil producers and exporters, and its petrodollar uh, deal with the U.S. And it's, you know, it's basically, you know, they're, they're joined at the hip, basically, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and have been for a very long time. So you can't say a bad word about Saudi Arabia, and it's very few people say a bad word about Saudi Arabia in the Western media for that specific reason, for that particular reason, and also because Saudi Arabia has, well, it has a lot of money. It just comes down to money, corruption, and the, the amount of money that can be made. Of course, Saudi Arabia has given billions of dollars to various lobby groups, various, you know, interested parties in U.S. politics, mm. to Hillary Clinton and to all the rest of them over the years. So they're best, best friends because Saudi Arabia has flushed with cash and throws money America's way and also buys large quantities of American weapons. So you're not going to say anything bad about that country. You know, and in fact, this is uh, what, what has been revealed, and Trump revealed it kind of for the first time in a certain, uh, explicitly or in, 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 in explicit terms. Uh, he said the other day, speaking of this guy, Khashoggi, who's, uh, who's disappeared and probably killed by the Saudis, that um, he's not going to... Because there's a, a weapons deal, supposedly a, a, on paper an agreed, let's say, a memorandum of understanding about buying a hundred and ten billion dollars worth of U.S. weapons for mm. to, by Saudi Arabia, and he said he's not going to cancel that deal because, well, you know, money talks and there's jobs at stake type thing. But, and but, he said one other thing because I know that Saudi Arabia can go to at least five, uh, certainly two, i.e., Russia two, and China, two, two big ones. other suppliers. Right. So it's strategic. It's 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 so tell we are morals and and that kind of stuff. You know, of course, we'll we're not we'll, from his perspective. It's we're not going to, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by passing sanctions that would, you know, um, on Saudi Arabia that would hurt us. But we'll pass all our sanctions. Let's say, but you know, nothing's going to really happen. I don't think anything really is going to happen. And of course, this is all in the context of it not being officially known what actually happened. And there's a question over what actually happened because it's very easy to say, yeah, Mohammed bin Sultan uh, or Salman um, had this guy killed in the Turkish embassy. I mean, there's video, it, video evidence of him going into the embassy. Isn't that insanely in your face, like, but, even for but what, but the has, Souths, especially abroad? I mean, yeah, they, they, but, well, they you know m- how to, you know, dress well, up and not... Uh, yeah, not do it so explicitly. That's not why look I, like head choppers. That's why I think if you want to get a bit conspiratorial about it, and there's you know, there's always good reason to think that there's more than more than meets the eye okay, to the story, is that, of course, there are more people in Saudi Arabia with clout and influence and power than beardy, the beardy bear man, Mohammed bin Salman. So it's possible that there's some other faction within mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia who obviously would have access being high-level members of the Saudi Arabian tribe or family or government, whatever you want to call it, uh, would have access to the Saudi embassy, would be able to get in there, no problem, because they have credentials, and to carry this out for, well, a double... I mean, there's two two agendas being filled. One is obviously they, they do want to get rid of this guy. They don't like this guy, uh, Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi, because he's critical of Saudi Arabia. But it does seem strange to me that Mohammed bin Salman or the, the official face of the Saudi government would have sanctioned this in such a flagrant yeah. and brutal way, uh, knowing that you would get the response that they're getting, which mm-hmm. is, this is a bridge too far. You've crossed the line here, basically, and all, all these countries talking about sanctions and criticizing. Whether they actually do anything or not, it's still, you don't want that kind of negative press, you know, because mm-hmm. the Saudis are sensitive to that, you know. 
and they've and they've they've looked to the US and other Western countries, the UK and France and stuff in over the decades to kind of try and soften their image, to try and lobby for them to make it sound like they're liberalizing and they're modernizing. Of course, Mohammed bin. And Salman, you know who led that? This guy Khashoggi was their PR chief for handling foreign media right. all these decades. Right. That was his job. Right. Now he's got the cushy job in Washington Post, but that's what his job was in Saudi Arabia. Right. So, you know, they, they've, they've tried to soften the image of, of Saudi Arabia to the world public, and um, the Saudis are sensitive to that. So it seems that, and of course, this guy Mohammed bin Salman is the new leader. Is um, has been talking, you know, has been liberalised the. Laws against women, women mm -hmm. driving and women's rights and all that kind of stuff. He's supposedly a liberalizer, you know. And hanging some, out with Sergey Brin. There's some evidence that he's done it, right? Yeah, exactly. So he, uh, it's on, it seems strange that he would have sanctioned this himself. Uh, it doesn't make sense, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an own goal. Um, so it suggests to me that someone else, uh, someone who wasn't happy mm -hmm. about what he did last year by purging all the, these royals that basically were getting a bit too big for their britches, uh, some of them and they're a team that they put together who would have access, given their credentials, have access to the Saudi embassy in Turkey, would, could have gone in and done this, and done this in such a way that it, uh, that it looks really bad. It looks like someone went in, <clears throat> kidnapped, tortured, killed him, uh, and let the, let the blame fall on, on MBS. So there's in, infighting, I think, is a reasonable conclusion to yeah. draw from this, and that it's not, and that's why the, uh, people are holding back on saying, Yes, this was the Saudis. Let's, you know, this was MBS and it was him. It was the well, official government. Let's sanction them. Let's sanction Saudi Arabia. Because what do you do if you're a foreign country and you deal with the official government, but there's a there's a kind of a parallel government or or other powerful people in the country who are acting in the name of the government? You you, you have to be careful about who you blame. Basically, you know what I mean. I mean, is there? Can you say there's no difference between the two? Obviously not. There are groups within countries that act. Uh, uh, with impunity, you know, who can act with impunity in that way and, and can carry out these kind of dirty tricks or, or smear, at, you know, operations that, that that create a situation for the existing government, you know. I hear you on people hedging their bets on this, but at the same time, you know, the standard's been set really high by the attacks they dish out to Russia. Mm -hmm. Global media, day in, day out, everything. Right. There's a thousand claims against them at this point. So, you know, the bar is very high in these days. So relatively, this seems relatively tame. But I don't know. If you just go on CNN today, they've got a whole special subsection with about 10 articles. And yeah, if you read the details, they're circumspect. And they will clarify that it's not even sure that this guy has just disappeared mm -hmm. or dead. But the, the, um, the definite message and tone coming through is, mm -hmm. you know, Saudi Arabia is evil. Right. Now, this could just be a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. It might disappear next week. Mm -hmm. Um. As might this, but I think it's it's interesting nonetheless to show the extent to which the levers of power in the empire have been activated against them, at least on, on the surface. Um, Congress is considering, yeah, has delivered a letter to the White House triggering provisions of the Magnitsky Act, mm -hmm. which of course was designed to sanction Russia back in 2012. Which, to sanction this, any country. And yeah, now, well, that's the first time I think it's been used, the Magnitsky Act, in any other context but, but Russia. Maybe, maybe. Um, why this one? Well, because it gives the US president, um, I think it might actually have been triggered. He, Trump officially has 120 days to decide mm -hmm. well, now whether to impose sanctions. Mm -hmm. 
on any person or country found to have been involved in extrajudicial kidnapping. That's the way in which the Magnitsky Act targeting mm-hmm. Russia was, was given a general legal principle mm-hmm. with which it could be used. Uh, Danico, and here it is being used again for only the second time um, against Saudi Arabia. And that's, of course, when Trump, you know, responded. But he, he, he responded with some things which like, you know, he didn't use uh, there'll be hell, hellfire and fury, but it was pretty like there'll be some strong, re- you know, he didn't say repercussions. That's, that's too um, diplomatic for Trump. He said there'd be strong punishment or something like that. Yeah, they'd be severely punished. Severely punished. Severely. Um, but, but people don't. I mean, you've got a problem here with, uh, with the way the media presents these things and the way ordinary people the, in, in the country look at this kind of a situation where someone is killed, you know? I mean, it's, that's why I think this is, uh, this is unusual and a kind of a setup because of the gruesome and obviously public way mm. or, or public way that it was done in the sense that it would become public knowledge it was i mean a guy yeah. walks into an embassy into the saudi embassy like saudi territory effectively on mm. in Turk on turkish ground uh, walks in there and doesn't doesn't come out where is he the saudi say i don't know i mean obviously you're going to be accused of and it's a guy who has been critical of the saudi government obviously it's a setup whether or not consciously by anyone in particular but it's set up to make the Saudi government look really bad. I mean, it's flagrant. Who, was, mean, who was saying, I think it was the Turks saying from the get-go that yeah. it was brutal murder. Yeah, but the well, US... Was, they, they obviously have some information that... But US intelligence agencies are saying the same thing now as well. That, that, there's, um, that there's some kind of audio that you can, you can hear him being talked to and interrogated and tortured and then murdered or whatever. And, uh, somebody, I think it was to the Washington Post, the New York Times or something, uh, quoting some unnamed intelligence uh, agent. So... Well, these days our job's really easy. Whenever something involves the Washington Post, because that's like... Hmm. Well, this is who he It's owned by well. Jeff Bezos now, but everyone knows it as the CIA's official paper. Right. So, and Sir Jamal Khashoggi. The CIA well. is one step removed from this issue. Yeah, <laughs> So course. right there, you have to hold your horses on, on whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on stating for certainty, yeah. with any certainty. But they, um, I mean, I don't think the CIA... I think it's probably maybe... Who knows? There's all sorts of double dealing going on. But, I mean, it suggests to me that well, the most likely explanation is that some, like I said, some group within Saudi Arabia that's pissed off what? at at uh, MBS and, and wants to make them look bad, you know? I mean, there could be some CIA or Western intelligence. There always is some level of involvement with them if it's only just kind of being being aware of it and not doing anything about it or whatever. But, you know, Trump said, um, people think this is terrible and gruesome, and, and yes, it is, but <laughs> on the subject of killing people, extrajudicial judicial killing uh, of people it happens all the time. Governments, Western governments, other governments around the world do it all the time. Trump said as much, uh, mm-hmm. I think a few months ago when he was asked um, by uh, some reporter about Putin saying, but, you know, after he had met Putin, I think it was, and he said, what well, did you ask him about, you know, the, the, the murders that he's uh, mm-hmm. responsible for? I mean, he's a killer, right? I mean, surely do you want to be associated with that, someone, with that, with that kind of person? And um, Trump said, well, you know, we, we've killed people as well. No, nobody's got clean hands. I think and that, but that's Bill the way it Riley. works. What? Uh, Trump with Bill Riley when he was campaigning. But Putin's a killer. That was supposed to be like stopping Trump dead in his tracks. And Trump said, well, yeah, you know, we're not exactly, you know, angels ourselves. Or right, something yeah. Like that. Something along. Okay, something. But yeah, I, I think. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe it was that. I'm not sure, sure if it happened before. But basically, Trump has said that. And that's the, that, that's the important point is that. Um, these kind of 
extrajudicial judicial killings by intel agencies or whatever for, branch of government are par for the course. They happen all the time, yet people are encouraged to get up in arms about it. But the thing is, those kind of killings happen in quiet ways that no one, that doesn't generally reach the media, doesn't re reach a wide media audience. There's no, there's no, it's not done in a flagrant way. It's taken as par for the course, or part of the, part of the spy, part, part of spycraft or part of the way the government works that you're going to kill other, or sections of the government are going to target and assassinate other people, their own citizens, other citizens, all the time. And it has happened all the time. The problem with this one, like I said, is that it's done in such a way which is abnormal, where yeah. it gets massive media attention and then makes one country or one particular person or whatever look very bad. That is evidence that it's, that it's some kind of a setup. There was another um, event last week, unrelated, apparently, um, in Bulgaria. A Bulgarian reporter, this is kind of a known figure within the country because she's a, a, TV, a regular TV presenter. Mm. She was abducted, raped and murdered by seven, one, two or more people. Um, they've arrested someone for that. Then they've arrested someone for that. They've arrested now, I think, two people. They pop up in Germany mm. um, within days. Um, I offer that as a kind of counterexample because, yeah, it got reported, but she didn't get anything like the kind of coverage this is getting. There's going to be no sanctions against Bulgaria and the EU for whatever the heck went on here. The, the thing that was said about her immediately in the initial reports was that she'd been particularly critical of EU dealings with Bulgaria, I'm not sure. That might be an issue because in Bulgaria, there's a similar kind of pro-anti-Russia issue um, as with other countries in, in Eastern Europe. Mm. So, yeah, there's this, something happened there like that's beyond just, you know, a random murder, prob right. probably. But she's not just... She, she is just a journalist. Mm. The thing with Khashoggi is you mentioned... You hinted at it. He's also at the level of spy elite. He's not. Just some more information on his background. Like, um, I mean, you just pull up his Wikipedia page. Like, the guy's connected. And yeah, he's been in the US one and a half years, but he is through and through, you know, Saudi regime man mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Since, since his youth. I mean, his father, you found, was the. F I knew I recognized his sur surname somewhere. He, his father. Uncle. Oh, okay, an uncle by the same name, Khashoggi, yeah, well, yes, was blood. the big arms dealer involved in the Iran-Contra affair mm -hmm. in the 1980s. And his, 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 his father was, this guy Jamal Khashoggi's father was a physician, the physician to the former King Faisal of, uh, of Saudi Arabia. And he was himself, Jamal Khashoggi, was an advisor to the previous old, old guy, who's the father of uh, the, the current beardy guy, MBS. Uh, and also his um, his aunt or something like that was married to uh, Dodi Al Fayed, so he was related. Uh, to, he he is to, a cousin of Dodi Fayed. Yes, oh, he's yeah. a cousin of Dodi Al Fayed. His yeah. father was uh, Muhammad Al Fayed, uh, and his son Dodi Al Fayed was married to Princess Diana. So yeah, it's all there. It's you know. But I don't just mean connected in Saudi Arabia. I mean connected in. The United States well, as well. But when you're Saudi, if you're high-level Saudi, uh, that level... That says it all. Okay. Well, you're connected in the US by definition, you know. Um, so my, my problem here is, like I keep saying, is my problem with this murder is that it it's done in such a way where like this Bulgarian journalist that you're talking about, um, that that's the way, even though that was kind of pretty public as well, they then accused, I think, some immigrants or something like that who were accused of, nobody in particular, just some, some random criminal was accused of uh, murdering and uh, and killing her, you know. There's no there's no high-level connections to that. There's no conspiracy involved in that. But you look at then, 
Jamal Khashoggi, why uh, why can that not have been done in his case? Mm-hmm. Why can't he have been uh, somebody have been hired to uh, shoot him on the streets of uh, of Turkey or ban- streets of Ankara and steal his wallet? Pass it off as a mugging. And steal his wallet. Of course, that could happen. Why do you? Why does somebody do it inside the Saudi embassy? I and mean, you do it inside the Saudi embassy for to God's leave sense, them holding and bloody knife. Saudi Arabia did it. Okay. Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, there's no. I don't think MBS or any members of the Saudi current Saudi regime are that stupid. Why would they do that? They don't like this guy to the point they want to kill him. Well, abduct him and take him to a barn somewhere, and then bury him in the woods. Or there's an accident. Or throw him. With his plane or, or something. Or whatever. Even if you want to interrogate, you know, so many different ways. You don't <laughs> take him into, it's like, I don't know, it's like, take him into the Saudi embassy and, you know, or, or get him in the Saudi embassy. Make it obvious that he doesn't leave. It's ridiculous, you know. Um, I did wonder if there's something going on or it's, it's maybe a, an iron in the fire with respect to Saudi Arabia because there's a big question over how what it's thinking about and to what extent it may follow these shifts eastward pro-Eurasian integration and that's the open question about MBS because he's young of course and if he does consolidate and hold power he could be king you know leader for for, for decades right um that's why I wondered if it's an open question about how loyal he is to you know the Anglo-Americans because of course their yeah. his the loyalty is um it must be a hundred percent. I mean, there's no. Yeah. Well, they probably have given some leeway, but uh, it must be. Uh, it cannot be. You know, they can't betray him. Basically. Um, mm-hmm. Now the, it hasn't happened yet, but Saudi Arabia could start paying the Chinese in one, mm-hmm. not dollars, mm-hmm. for the oil. Um, remember, this year China launched its oil futures market for crude oil. The, the, so far, they could accept, start accepting one. I mean. Yes. Yeah. Um, correct. Yeah. Sorry. They're the sellers. Um, that was announced this year. It's the first contracts. It was announced. The announcement of this um, new scheme for paying in one was back in March, but only last month, like within weeks ago, like of this event, did they begin happening the first actual deliveries, mm-hmm. uh, shipments of oil in one. N- it's not clear yet. There's been Iraqi companies. I found one from Oman, a big delivery, Russia and Angola. And there are other unknowns that are probably, they're probably owned by multiple companies, the kind of shells, you know, it's not clear who they are. Anyway, mm-hmm. as soon as it becomes obvious and known, announced or whatever, that Saudi Arabia has begun in that direction, which is any day now. Mm-hmm. That could be a part of it. That's yeah. hanging over it. Um, yeah. Certainly, the CIA has been, and Western intelligence agencies have, have had contacts, obviously, within Saudi Arabia. I mean, like I said, they're joined at the hip, literally, mm-hmm. right? those two countries. Uh, Saudi uh, Arabia's military is practically uh, a NATO outfit. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bottom. France, the UK, even Germany, but particularly the US, you know, it's basically, they, you know, they're joined at the hip. It's, it's the only way I can describe it. Uh, they're so interconnected. And certainly, Western intelligence agencies would have, still have contacts within uh, the Saudi ruling elite, including those who were supposedly purged uh, last year. So it's very possible that um, this could be a move on behalf of, um, you know, those State Department, U.S. State Department interests and intelligence agency, agency interests who 
for one reason or another, for that reason, as you described about uh, Saudi Arabia accepting payment in yuan instead of dollars for Chinese oil. And that could be one reason why they want to put some pressure. I mean, it's it's pretty much <clears throat> standard operating procedure, procedure, this kind of a, a situation with Khashoggi, where you would put this kind of external global pressure on a country that you don't uh, you don't like the direction it's going to put a pressure on the, on the leaders of that country. That's, I mean, that's what they've been doing with Russia mm-hmm. uh, repeatedly, where they've been um, attempting to smear and demonize and make basically make Russia look bad and make Putin look bad to the greatest extent uh, possible. That's what they've been doing for the past three, four, five years. Uh, so this kind of fits uh, one, with, with that uh, with that scenario, with that um, type of maneuver. I have one other piece of geopolitical context, also in the last few weeks, um, about two weeks ago, uh, Haaretz in Israel was the first to break the story, I think, because they claimed it was three of their sources in the U.S. intelligence community, that Russia and Saudi Arabia had a, struck a private, which just means it was a bilateral deal, between Russia and Saudi Arabia in September to raise oil output. Now, that's not a big deal, um, really, because it's exactly what Trump said in his UN speech earlier in September, you know, oil prices too high, too high. They got to go down. OPEC got to go down. Well, what's interesting about this is that Russia and Saudi Arabia didn't bother with OPEC and they're dealing directly. And they've apparently agreed to both increase their output for the next three months. So there's some deal going on that's going to last till the end of the year. It's to maintain prices roughly at $85 a barrel. The the thing that Harris picked up on that, that, that you can see that maybe this is the the point of contention. It's not so much that they're helping to keep oil prices down, because everyone's trying to do that. Um, certainly, it's in the West's interest that it not go too high because Russia, right? Right. But as Harris pointed out, have to be yeah, certain. The deal underlines how Russia and Saudi Arabia are increasingly dis- deciding oil output policies bilaterally. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the fact of cooperation, not the specific issue about any given thing. Whether even whether it's weapons sales mm-hmm. or oil prices, it's not any one thing. It's just the act and the trend and the tendency. Yeah, we you're... don't like those two people getting on well. Well, when your friend, when your bestest friend starts hanging out with another friend, type thing, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, you get a bit jealous. You know, you get a bit, a bit worried. You know, so um, yeah, that's uh, that's just the kind of nonsense that goes on, on you know, the wrangling and the infighting and the, you know, like in the oil business, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because the U.S. needs oil to be kept at a certain, it needs to be, it needs oil to be high enough because. The U.S. has invested heavily in fracking, you know, fracked oil and fracked oil and LNG, liquefied natural gas and stuff, um, has uh, is quite expensive. Uh, so they need the price for a barrel of oil and for gas to be relatively high, but like you said, not too high, so that Russia, uh, for example, in particular Russia, uh, makes crap loads of money from high oil prices, you know. Um, so it's a delicate balance, you know, and it's not it's not very clear that that you that it's easy to achieve your goals in that respect. But mm-hmm. they keep trying regardless, you know. Um, and oil still makes the world go round. Fourteen trillion dollars in trade annually—that's something like China's GDP, mm. just oil. Mm. So, yeah, watch the space. Lubricates. 
We want to move on now to Trump anxiety disorder. Have you been feeling any lately, Joe? No, no. Uh, I haven't been anxious about Trump at all, really. Um, you might want to che- get a checkup. I mean, maybe I should get a checkup uh, and get some. Every, everyone should take, now and then take something from that. Well, I mean, you know, Orange Man is racist, like you know. Ah, yeah, everyone knows that, like. And uh, Orange Man is is generally bad. Of course. For this, for that reason, for the preceding reason, so preceding uh, issue of racism, but um, I don't really, you know, think Trump is um, anything special in one way or another, uh, except for the fact that he uh, that he doesn't lie enough. That's the only way that it would provoke a bit of anxiety in me because I've been so used to American politicians lying, particularly American presidents telling, you know, to one extent or another, egregious lies. Um, when I hear Trump not telling egregious lies and actually getting close to just telling the truth or telling it like it is in certain cases, that's when I get a bit anxious. So I do have Trump anxiety syndrome, but it's for the opposite reason that most people have it you know um something's not right here <laughs> yeah uh something's not right something something's wrong no it's but funny it, we're, we're kind of crossing over like there's a meeting briefly of people but then the people are going this other direction now these people over here like they discovered that america is an empire mm. but they did it in the, thanks to trump mm-hmm. and then he's the figure of that empire and therefore trump equals empire and off they go into this is all evil. Mm-hmm. But like we're we're coming from the other way. Well, yeah, the US is an empire and it's evil. But then Trump, and actually he's he's at least half decent on a lot of substantive issues. Mm-hmm. Key word being substantive. Yeah, he, he he's brash and an idiot and he says insulting things and he's and, and he and he and he does lie. Like he does lie about small things, certainly. Because yeah. he's forgetful, he doesn't have the facts. He he can he can be on point in a sense, but actually, technically, the facts he pulled up were incorrect. But he has a point, like that thing where they said. I mean, that's one of the things that people counter. But when when you say Trump never lied, doesn't lie much or big in a big way. Oh, but you remember, and then they can list a whole catalog of things, and one of them being, um, where he gave a shout out at a rally last year about. Did you see what happened in Sweden last night? Mm. And specifically, there was nothing much to point to. Nothing specific happened in Sweden last night. Mm-hmm. He he said it all wrong. He was referring to a show that was aired on Fox News about the general issues. Some some cities, particularly Malmo in southern Sweden, have been having with largely migrant areas and rising crime. All facts, you know, substantively, there is there is a serious issue in some of these cities in Europe. And that's what he was pointing to, but technically he didn't say it right, so he's lying. That doesn't count as a lie. Yeah. The problem, is, the problem is Trump, people don't like Trump. It's not they have a problem with him. They don't think far enough. They don't, people aren't interested, by and large, most people aren't interested in what their presidents do. They just have to, like I've said this on many, many previous occasions, that most people are only interested that their president looks good, talks good, and espouses noble ideals. So effectively, he that he that he acts as if and looks as if he is better than us. Because otherwise, why is he the president? 
when I he, could be. He has to be far better than me. Yeah. Like Trump fails on all those, on, on most of those, those counts. He doesn't look very good. He doesn't look very presidential. He doesn't speak very presidential. And he doesn't espouse noble ideals. But the problem with espousing noble ideals is that in this world, generally speaking, politicians who espouse noble ideals are lying. And Trump is much more practical. So Trump tell, tells, says things that are demonstrably true. And people, a lot of people don't like that, but a lot of because pe- a lot of people are idealistic and they want things to be better than they are. They want they don't want to face into the gritty, difficult problems of reality. And Trump tends to shove their faces in it by 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 just going with that. He's more of a practical, realistic kind of person. He's not a polished statesman. He does. He's not. He's not. Uh, you know, trained in the art of of political speak and and bullshitting and that kind of stuff. And that's why people don't like him effectively. So, but what they focus on then is as we've seen, is they focus on uh, things about him that, that um, like, like little lies that he tells, you know, that he, that he like, inflate it. They focus on the fact that he's an egotist. They focus on his character, if you know what I mean, the foibles and the flaws in his character. Like, from his appearance, to the way he speaks, to the, the little kind of stupid, you know, ego-driven lies that he tells and stuff that have no real consequence. You but know? actually... But they ignore... The, the bigger policy issues that are actually the ones that are important. And it's those things about... really speak to his character. No, they speak more to his character. You say they focus on the, his character, but it's at a super, relatively superficial level. Right. Truly, a, a person's character is... Well, but a, a superficial character, yeah. I mean, the, obviously, the, we're talking about right. people who don't go into, the, into depth in anything. Yeah. Be it uh, what's really, how politics really works, what, how the world really works, what reality is really like, uh, the, the problems of the real, you know, nuts and bolts... Uh, issues and almost insoluble problems of reality. People don't look into any of those and they don't look into other people. They're all about superficiality. People are generally superficial and very fickle. So obviously they're going to focus on Trump on his superficial foibles. That's why they call him, you know, like, you know, he's a, he's a big orange Cheeto type thing. Look at the state of his face. They, you know, they, they, their argument will boil, boil down to posting a picture of Trump, you know, a close-up picture of his face where he looks kind of particularly, you know, harsh, and they'll say, see, that's my point. And I'm like, that's your point? What, that he's ugly? That's your point? He's the president of America and he's, you know, tasked with, you know, you know. I don't think he's particularly, uh, particularly ugly. But, well, uh, well, pe- but, but, but they'll, because, they'll but, but, but because <laughs> people find him ugly because they don't like him because yes. he, what he does, because he's not a polished politician, because he's breaking that yeah. unspoken contract between the people and, and their leaders is that at this point in history, particularly in Western countries, is that their leaders are meant to lie to them. They're meant to look right. good, they're this meant is... to perform the functions, they're meant to say everything's great, they're meant to say all the nice things, and then ultimately for most people to hell with the rest of it, as long as we have this image of a kind of saviour or Jesus or a, a, a great leader that we can look up to. So people in America aren't that far removed from people in North Korea in that respect. How do you mean? The way they idolise uh, okay. their leaders. Yeah, the cult. They want. They want a cult. The cult of personality. They want a personality cult, and Trump doesn't fit the pro- profile, obviously, because people want, like I said, people want a, a a personality as their leader that is appears to be because they don't have a personal relationship with them. Obviously, they only know what they see in pictures and yeah. how it's presented to them. So they want someone who appears to be in all and is always and the father many ways of the nation, the perfect person, mm. and Trump feels. And that is a super betrayal, like a big betrayal for, for all of these people who are very superficial people who just, you know, 
live life from kind of a, on a superficial level, you know, without going to too too much into any any details, and don't and haven't don't think either, uh, don't engage in any kind of nuanced, difficult thinking because it's difficult, you know. So they're lazy people, basically. You know, you, you argued in your latest article that the logical conclusion of this is that people are screaming at the sky, in fact, because Trump is not a liar. Right. Which puts it right back on them, actually. Well, yeah, but tell me a comfortable lie, and if you don't, I'm going to really hate you for it. If you start facing me into the, the, the difficult problems of life uh, rather than, you know, telling me comfortable lies or, or, or you know, comforting me in some way and telling me everything will be all right, then I'm not going to like you for it. You know, that's not your job. From the point of view of these people, that, that's not the job of, of the president. It's the opposite of the job of the president. The job of the president is to, I mean, that's why they loved Obama so much, you know, smooth talking, dancing, noble ideals, all that kind of stuff, while he was, you know, doing all the evil things that, that American and Western presidents generally do, which, you know, they're a bunch of corrupt uh, plutocrats, you know, and... Um, and people have accepted that. I mean, they, people accept that they can't do anything about that. You know, they can't change the fact that their leaders are corrupt. They've accepted that. I think long ago. Uh, so the very what the the very least that they expect is that you cover it up and say nice things and you look good and you make me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And Trump doesn't make anybody feel comfortable because he starts talking to people about immigration and about the fact that you know we can't have open borders. You know, because one of the noble ideals is that we're all one big happy family and you can let everybody in and. Uh, immigrants just open borders immigrants can come in to any country in the world and the country will be much much better as a result the economy will boom as a result it'll all be wonderful because we're all one big happy family you know so it's not an evil these, these superficial people aren't evil but they're just hopelessly naive and trump doesn't pander to their hopeless naivety he basically talks about talks turkey you know talks in more realistic terms and that's and arguably conservatives or conservative minded people are more practical, realistic people who uh, are more in touch with, you know, the nitty-gritty of life and the difficult aspects of life. And they're also much more tolerant people, despite the way they're presented. They're far more tolerant today, certainly, than people on the left, you know. Uh, if, if you talk to conservatives, you'll realise that because they understand how, that more, they have a better understanding of how life can be difficult and how you do have to get on and uh, with other people and stuff, but they have their own, their own, their own uh, values, whereas lefties are just way too idealistic and unrealistic and impractical and they propose ideas and, and demand uh, that certain policies or certain ideas be implemented that are totally Im impracticable that they cannot they cannot realistically realistically be implemented without causing problems in general in general as a general rule yeah. i like some lefty ideas huh i like some lefty ideas like what revolution no um uh Oh, basic, basic, basic health healthcare coverage for everyone. Mm. And you can call it socialized medicine all you want, but listen, the biggest welfare queens in the United States remain Raytheon, yeah. Lockheed Martin, Boeing, etc., etc. So, yeah. let's let if you want to talk about redistribution, well, let let's look at where it's really being redistributed. So, yeah. but again, that's that's kind of idealistic. You, also, you come back. The American it. people back me up statistically. Um. I'm not sure what I'm citing now, but I read it recently, so trust me. Uh, statistically, and it's, 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 it's part of a set of questions, maybe it's asked by Pew Research on a regular basis, and it goes back decades. And there's an average figure 
something like 70% of Americans agree on something like four out of five key questions when it comes to left-right. To what extent should a government do X? To what extent does individual liberty reign supreme? I can't remember what the the, the five uh, indices were, but there were five things that would sort of make up a kind of a cluster of the overall political beliefs of a country. Mm -hmm. And consistently American people, and they have their background breakdown, what percentage of them were were traditionally conservative and what what, uh, percentage... Uh, traditionally of left-leaning voters and it's always the same kind of ballpark. It goes up and down a little but it's about 70%. But almost three quarters of the population agree substantively on the right balance of um, individual freedom versus mm-hmm. um, public utilities about things that should be nationalized versus so whether should be open government regulation versus where the government should stay the hell out of these issues. Mm-hmm. And what we're waiting for, the, the revolution in quotes that is, you know, probably never going to happen, but hey, is simply the general overall synchrony of these two things where the powers that be and the substantive wants of the people are more or less in line. Mm-hmm. And that, maybe that's utopia, but... Would, it would make sense to me that in logically that they would follow in lockstep, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Consistently throughout American history in particular, there's this disconnect between the elites and in general middle and working class people. Mm-hmm. And that's still the case today. Like, um, I mean, you'll find in the conservative Rust Belt, you know, and the Midwest and um, out to Montana and Idaho, everyone agrees substantially on the same kinds of the basic yeah. things. Um well- there isn't really much difference between them and East Coast or, or, or West Coast voters. Right. Now, there are things that have come to the fore, you know, like attitudes, you know, swimming at the sky, kind of. Well, that's, um, that's been hystericized into people, basically, yeah. and it's only a small percentage of the population who are in those videos who are screaming at the sky and shouting, never Trump and not my president and stuff. You know, it's only a, a small percentage of the population well, who, uh, who would actually get out in the streets and, and, and make the, make a spectacle of themselves in that way that feels so, not that they feel strongly about it, but that they're just crazy enough to do that. You know, I mean, like I said at the beginning of the show, they, I think they enjoy it. You know, they enjoy getting out and screaming and stuff. It, it's kind of catharsis for a lot of them. But um, you were trying to get a read this week on the numbers. What kind of percentages are these never-Trumpers or just don't like them because that's what the media is saying? You know, majority, minority. What, what, what was your feel on it? Um, I think it has to be split up into the amount of people who would be vocal uh, about. Yeah. Who would feel like they would, you know, that they're that way inclined, or they're, they're, they're of a certain character that who they would, where they would get out and take a stand, you know, and shout at people in the street or whatever. And I'd say there's a lot of people. A lot of people have been swayed towards uh, anti-Trump. Uh, an anti-Trump stance and, and you know, swallowing this kind of like the, the oversimplified view of Trump and, and what he does and, you know, the fact that calling him a racist and a fascist, which are, which are all demonstrably untrue, you know. He's not a racist and he's not a fascist. I mean, uh, a fascist, like we've said before today, is just a word that means someone that you don't like. It has no meaning anymore, uh, the way it's used, in, particularly in, in, in America. Um, people using it don't even know what it means. It just means bad person. So... um but I think a lot of people have swallowed the propaganda about 
the anti-Trump propaganda where, you know, it's uh, anti he's anti-immigrant and he's racist and all that kind of stuff, when it's just simply not true, you know? I mean, if you look at what Trump can actually be accused of, it obviously he can be accused of saying that he wants to tighten up America's borders and restrict immigration. But every single president previously has done the same thing. Of course, there's been differences in the way they've applied it and some have had a, have had a agenda of letting in, in more immigrants, but all of them, including Obama, had policies to restrict illegal immigration. So every country in the world restricts illegal immigration. And record numbers were kicked out by Obama. Yeah, so so, so, so none of it's true on Trump. So, but so it's just Trump is accused of these things and then, and then there's no evidence that, that, that that's the case. I mean, he's accused of being a, a racist, you know. And if you look at, I mean, there, you try to find some evidence that he's a racist, you know. Um, there's an article in the USA Today from uh, earlier, just August this year. Ten times President Trump comments have been called racist. Note that, that it's not that he made racist remarks, it's that his comments have been called mm-hmm. racist. And it's from stuff like LeBron James. He called LeBron James, who criticized him. Basically, all of the incidences that they cite, all 10 incidences, are, um, were Trump was attacked or called names by these people. LeBron James, uh, uh, a basketball, former basketball player, I think, isn't he? Current, a, current big star. Um, Maxine Waters. Uh, um, oh, she's nuts. Well, well, she calls him names and he calls her, uh, he questions her intelligence. He said something like, uh, he said she's a very, an extraordinarily low IQ person. Which is. That, but that was racist. That was racist. Ah, you can't say that because she's black. But, but right. that, that's right. But that's obviously not racist. If someone, if somebody, Anna LeBron James, he said, uh, it's easy to get, um, <laughs> he said, he said that when LeBron James was interviewed by uh, someone uh, where he was criticizing Trump, he said the guy made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. So he was calling, he was calling LeBron James a dumbass. <laughs> so it's like he said he was a dumbass. That's racist. Um, then MS-13 animals, basically right. the Mexican gangs, he calls them animals. Okay. But, I mean, anybody would call... I bet you would poll a majority of Mexican uh, Americans a, who would agree with right, that. Right, right. Mexican kind of death squads almost, you know, gangs in, in, involved in serious criminality cause them animals. That's racist. Do you know how serious and, the problem is now? It's just... It's insane. The MS-13 gangs are operating in, like, the Hamptons in upper New York State, in the posh areas. I mean, that's gone beyond this is a problem mm-hmm. just in the suburbs. And Trump's trying to draw attention to it. And these people are still saying, no, you can't say bad things. The guys are up threatening homes, robbing homes in the poshest of the elite places. Mm-hmm. And the elites respond to it by building bunkers and stuff. Right, panic rooms. Panic rooms. You might have a problem nationwide. You might want to like get behind Trump and that, but no, they use that mm-hmm. yeah. to beat Trump with. Exactly. So it's it's pretty pathetic, you know. If you look at any of these, there's no evidence for any of the real allegations against him that he's anything like people are saying he is. He's he's just he's just not a Washington establishment kind of you know type. He, he he's not a polished politician. So he's open then to to these kind of criticisms. But there's no evidence that he's. In fact, you know, arguably he's, if you go back to, you know, Clinton or even Carter, let's say, he's probably the, the best president America could have ha, or has had in those times, at least in terms of, let's say, I mean, he's got a, he's got a republic, he's got a, a more hardcore Republican agenda. He's, he's brought in the isolationism where he's putting America first, which means he's disengaging America to the best of his ability from uh, the rest of the world but he's hamstrung by that because the CIA runs uh, American foreign policy and they do whatever they want and he doesn't really have much control over foreign policy but in terms of domestic policy he, he tries to make put America first which is focus on jobs like true to his campaign promises and stuff and um, 
so yeah i don't i don't see any uh i don't there's no there's no good reason for any of the screaming at the sky and never trump except to the extent that people have been uh, jacked up to do it largely by the media and of course we know that there's a there's another geopolitical context to this where the media and the so-called deep state and the washington establishment don't like trump because of his isolationist policies if trump has this agenda of kind of resigning america from their role uh, world as, as world policemen, uh, then they're not the ones who want an expansionist America, who want an imperialistic America, are not going to be. And that's that's the CIA. That's what they. That's their bread and butter. That's that's what they that they were founded on. They're not going to be happy. So intel agencies aren't happy with him. So uh, and that's how you get then Russia collusion and hacking our elections with Russia and all the uh, demonization of, of Russia along with Trump. You know, keep so, in mind that Trump's idea remains an idea. I retracting and, and being less expansionist yeah. because just this week they've already started clearing the forest in Poland to build a new air force. I know, yeah, but like I said, he doesn't, he doesn't have much chance uh, to to do much in that respect. No. But he can do it, and you know, he can the hold the idea. He cannot well, fall for the idea. Well, not just the idea, but he can. The way he can do it is economically, and obviously, economically right. is the way that you do that first and foremost. At least in terms of his, he doesn't necessarily have to. With, he, he won't be able to withdraw troops and kind of. Uh, you know, curtail the activities of the CIA. But what he can do is push his America first agenda economically, and which we've seen him start to do that by proposing tariffs and threatening tariffs on other countries and all that kind of stuff. And that's isolationism. Mm. Right? That's protecting America's economy through but through trade uh, with other countries, increasing tariffs and etc. So, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people, I think, there is a problem in the US right now where uh, a lot of people have swallowed that mostly mainstream media and political establishment propaganda, anti-Trump propaganda, and people have basically, um, people have swallowed it and internalized it, and they believe that they're right, they believe that Trump is a fascist, they believe that this is totalitarianism, they believe that Trump it might be a kind of new Hitler type thing, and uh, and they have to take a stand against it. And But they believe that because they're stupid, effectively, because they and don't that think is and the they're lie. wrong. That that's, is substantially the lie here. <clears throat> right. And... Um, and a lot of people have done that, and people based on their character, depending on the type of kind of taste buds they have, depending on where their, their political leanings are, which is based on their nature, essentially, they, uh, they'll they be more likely to be, to be you know, vociferously anti-Trump. And, and depend, again, depending on their own individual character of those people, if you walk down the street in a MAGA hat, depending on which, which state you live in and which town you live in, there's a good chance that you'll be verbally assaulted at least in some way or other uh, but again that isn't doesn't mean that the whole country or even majority of the people in the country are anti-Trump I think what happens in that situation where one group of people take that strong stand against the president and, and feel like it's their moral uh, right or moral duty to get out and do something about it because they've swallowed a load of bullshit um, the people who have a bit more sense tend to go quiet Mm-hmm. And tend to accept that, and tend to not rock the boat. They realize that these people are a bit crazy, and you know, if someone who might like to wear <clears throat> a Trump T-shirt or something with Trump or bumper sticker or whatever uh, decide not to do it simply because they know how reactionary these lefty lefty types who have swallowed a load of bullshit are, and I mean, most people just want a happy life, right? So they're they're not going to, 
you know, they're not going to take a stand because if they did, you see some people taking a stand, obviously Trump pro-Trump rallies and or pro-Trump protests and that kind of stuff when they have clashes. But the majority of people who would be kind of think, well, Trump isn't so bad, you know, and to take a more nuanced uh, view of it, the majority of those people <clears throat> are not willing to, to get in a fight over it. Uh, and, you know, there's the obvious situation where they're, they're happy enough. If they kind of support Trump more or less, they're content to shut up about it because Trump is the president. <clears throat> the lefties are going to be much more vocal about it and, and militant about it because because Trump is the president as well, because the, their president isn't in, in office. They feel they have to affect a change, whereas the, the supporters of Trump kind of would tend to kind of go, well, you know, we have what we want, so we're not going to rock the boat, right? We don't need to. But it could easily switch around, you know. If Trump was impeached or something like that, then you would have you would have the, the right-wingers would become militant and they would start, you know, getting out in the street and, you know, uh, I don't know, beating, beating lefty heads, you know, in the same way lefties try to beat beat right-wingers' heads these days, you know. Would you go out in public wearing a MAGA hat? Only for shits and giggles, like... Scotty, we need to get <coughs> Joe a MAGA hat. Okay. <laughs> All right. But speaking of racism, black celebrities and MAGA hats... What did you think of Kanye West in the Oval Office? I think that was hilarious, really, you know. I mean, I think it was... Did you hear the whole... I did, yeah. Okay. It was a load of nonsense, like, really. I mean, not very much substance. But then what do you expect? I think he admitted during that he has an IQ of 98. Um, I don't know why he threw that in there, but um, he's a bit nutty, but he'd have to be the Mario Kardashian. I think he's diagnosed right? bipolar. Right. So... Uh, but what's strange about it is, that obviously, again, what's strange about it is the reaction of the lefties all screaming and shouting and calling, you know, basically, you know, the lefties who are all anti-racist become suddenly ma massively racist against Kanye West, you know, uh, calling him the, the token, Trump's token nigger, token, token nigger, basically. Something token. that, I think it was uh, Snoop Dogg or something. Yeah, all, like, all sorts of racist all way, Uncle So those Tom. people, imagine, yeah, Uncle Tom, imagine how, how fickle those people have to be to be taking this massive stance, supposedly they're diehard anti-racist, and then on a dime, they'll actually be actually racist yeah. against, against CNN uh, had a, someone, you know. CNN had a talking head on saying, West is the token Negro of the Trump administration. Right. <laughs> but what's strange about it is, is that ridiculous... And another one, wait, I have to say this one, Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Right. That was a CNN talking head. Right. This what is CNN anti-racism, right? NPCs. But so how can you have any faith in people? Yeah, how can you have any faith in, uh, in, 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 in people like that or human beings or whatever, you know? So... Uh, it, yeah. was, it was a rambling weird... Go ahead. Yeah, Scott. No, I was just going to say, because the, with the whole Trump thing, like this has happened, or I've happened to me and I've witnessed it several times is like you can make the argument that okay Donald Trump isn't a racist because you can point out like context and everything but the one thing that they always come back to is they get all like you know fired up and they go like yeah but he said about women that he just goes and grabs them by the gender specific orifice and <laughs> it's like that whole like they always go back to okay, you know, they say he's a racist and then you point out facts and context and they say he's this and you point out facts and context, but they always come back to, but he hates women mm. and that's what they use as their, that's like their, kind of their go-to fallback thing. Yeah. Mm. But he doesn't, there's no evidence that he hates women either. Oh, yeah. And what he said about, you know, grabbing women is not evidence that he hates women. It's quite the opposite, in fact. Anyway. <laughs> um, Indeed. Um, 
Um, no, but so Kanye West, the okay. ridiculous, it was a ridiculous historical reaction, expected historical reaction from the left to lose anything against him, obviously. So, uh, but what's strange is that, you know, loads of presidents have celebrities that come to the White House to advocate for some cause or other that's close to the celebrity's heart. So it's, it's not unusual, but it is unusual because it's Trump, basically. So it's just boring and pathetic. Um, I actually read someone who, who made a case out of reading between the lines of what Wes was saying, that he actually did touch on substantive things. Well, some people like to think that. Like. That he made the connection between high rates of incarceration in the United States and the lack of jobs and mental health issues he talked about and something else, something to do with copyright law. That's probably more in line with his work in the music industry. Yeah, it was but, fair know, enough. It was, it was stuff, but well, like I said, it's stuff that people have come to the White House and advocated for for, for decades. You know, every time there's a, there's a, every administration, you know, Bill Clinton, Bush, you know, all of them have received at various times celebrities who have, who want to advocate for yeah, something. Yeah, but how often does CNN or any other mainstream media make headlines that run for three days? Well, because of Trump, that's why. Because of Trump. But in this case, it's a guy talking about, you know, prisoners being used for slave labor. Yeah. By the way, that's what he was trying to get at with his weird comment about abolishing the 13th Amendment. Mm. The 13th Amendment, he's technically right, but this was completely lost in all the, you know, making mm. fun of it. The 13th Amendment technically only abolished slavery in the cases where no crime had been committed. In other words, the 13th Amendment specifically facilitated the structure we have today where some two million black prisoners in the United States are used for slave labor. Mm. When there's wildfires, they're the first ones thrown out there on the front line. Mm. When there's oil spills, they're out there cleaning it up. For pittance, it's not technically a fee. It's not a technically anything like a legal wage. It is technically slavery. slavery. And this is what he was getting at. Right. But it was lost in it his jumbo. It doesn't matter because it wasn't about that. It was an opportunity to attack Trump. Of course, in the media. It was totally irrelevant. But that was on West's mind when yeah. he went there. Right. Anyway, it's all a load of madness, and it's just going to continue on uh, as we uh, as we expect, and it'll get worse and uh, until something happens. We don't know what's going to happen, but we think things will get worse, basically, in one way or another. Uh, not just within America and within the left-right nonsense paradigm, um, but uh, around the world, basically. You know, uh, more corruption and more, maybe not so much more wars, but I think we can expect. There's been a lot of crazy weather going on recently and hurricanes, oh, and obviously yeah. hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm waiting for that kind of stuff to intercede and maybe put a stop to, uh, that tsunami. to, some, to some of the madness. You know, if you have a few, a few more tsunamis, it might give people something else to think about. You that know? tsunami was nuts. It's yeah. now 5,000 dead. Right. Yeah, so maybe that's the best we can hope for is that the, the Mother Nature intervenes and says, smacks everybody upside the head and said, you know, get a grip of yourselves, you know. But we'll just have to wait and see. Who knows? I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Um, Thanks for listening. If you like the video, subscribe, like, and do all that other stuff. Um, we'll be back next week with another show. Until then, have a good evening. See you next week. Bye, everyone.